From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now, a moment of silence before this episode begins. So um, if you've been with us for a minute, you know that we, uh, we tend to follow the lectionary, these prescribed readings for the church, uh, joining in with people all over the world every, every weekend. And um, I have a preference. I tend to hang out in the Gospels. Um, I figure you can't go wrong with Jesus, right? Uh, but every once in a while, uh, there's something going on in kind of the Hebrew text or the Old Testament that's just too good to ignore. And this morning, I want to share with you uh, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, um, one of the most beloved stories, I would guess, in all of Scripture, uh, that's actually really fundamental to our own identity as the people of God. Uh, just to give you a little bit of kind of the punchline here, um, the name Israel as the identifier for the people of God, that name is actually given in the text today. And I think hidden right there in plain sight for us is a deep truth about what it means to be the people of God. Like who we are to be, most of us in the room, Gentiles who were at one point graciously grafted into the Jewish people, uh, Israel, and to be a part of that family. And, uh, and so I hope that we'll all kind of lean in with ears to hear what God might have to say to us today. And we'll be picking up this story in a kind of climactic moment. It spans several chapters, but in chapter 32, verses 22 to 31, we'll be focused. So um, if you would, hear now the word of the Lord. And the writer says this, he says, The same night he, that is Jacob, got up and took his two wives, save it for another day, (laughs) his two maids, And his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Now Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, well, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Uh, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, 
This kind of goes without saying, but every once in a while I kind of want to remind all of us, myself included, is that whenever we read a passage like this, like A, um, those chapter numbers, those weren't there in the beginning. Those aren't original to the text. The writer didn't put in chapter numbers and verses. That's just so that when we open the great book, we're not kind of like, it's like somewhere towards the middle, like lower right paragraph, right? It's kind of a guide. Um, but what, the reason I raise that is to say, like, the story doesn't begin in chapter 32, verse 1, right? And it definitely doesn't end in uh, the end of this chapter, verse 32, right? Uh, this story has been moving uh, along for quite some time in the account in the book of Genesis. And, um, and so just give you a little bit of background of what's going on and where this scene finds itself. About a chapter or so earlier, uh, God comes to Jacob and tells him, uh, and I don't know what it sounded like or how that went, if it was just kind of an intuition or he heard an audible voice or, you know, all the questions we all have. But he had this deep awareness that the divine was inviting him to go back home, to go home. And uh, Jacob hadn't been home in 20 years. And there was actually a good reason for that, uh, because when he left, the reason he left is because his brother Esau said, I'm going to kill you. Uh, and so he figured that was a good time to leave, right? And, uh, and so for 20 years, Jacob's kind of been on the run, fleeing the wrath of his brother. And, and so when God comes to him and says, Jacob, I want you to go back home to the people who raised you to see your kin, his immediate response is uh, absolutely terrified and resistant. Uh, he has no interest in ever seeing those people, talking to those people, risking his neck by showing up in that place again, and yet there's this sense it's what he needs to do. And so just to push him over the edge, God says, well, how about this? I promise that I'll be with you. I promise I'll be with you. I'm going to go with you on this journey. So Jacob takes a little inventory of, honestly, the past 20 years and the ways in which God has sort of preserved his life and blessed him. And he figures, well, I've been able to trust you the last 20 years. As scary as this is, I feel like I can trust you moving forward. And so he packs up all of his things and all of his people and in all of his animals, and they make their way back home. And when he's about a day's journey away, he gets news that his brother Esau is enthusiastically ready to receive him with 400 of his friends, right? And, uh, and so Jacob, hearing the news that he is pretty much probably coming to the end of his existence, this will likely be his last day on planet Earth, uh, he starts to make arrangements. And the first thing he does is he throws a Hail Mary. He sends half of his goats and his camels and his livestock ahead with his servants to give to Esau, kind of as a way of saying like, your brother loves you very much, right? He's coming home soon. Here's a small gift from Jacob, hoping that that might somehow ease the tension, change the dynamic of what's likely going to take place. But he doesn't stop there. Not only does he send half of his belongings ahead, hoping that that might kind of assuage his brother's anger, but he also looks at his family and, uh, and he sends them across the stream, kind of realizing that like just being near him was probably putting their lives in danger. And so realizing the, if he's going to have to die through this, if he's going to have to 
you know, walk through this path. Hopefully it won't affect his family. So he's sending gifts. He's sending his family away. It's kind of the last night of his life. And he lays down next to a stream all by himself. Maybe the first time he's been completely by himself in a long time. And as the sun sets and it becomes pitch black, we're told that he's jumped by some person, some entity. Some Hebrew word is ish. Some man, some thing grabs him from the dark and begins to wrestle with him. So much for God being with him, right? And, uh, and so the story goes on that Jacob wrestles with this man, with this person, all night long. There have been some really beautiful cinematic um, descriptions of this very moment in literature and film and other places, but, you know, it's usually portrayed as like two people struggling, fighting in the dark, unable to even see each other's faces, one throwing fists, the other throwing fists back, wrestling in and out of the stream, holding each other underwater, right? Both of them collapsing, trying to catch their breath until one jumps back on the other, until the other jumps back on that, and it happens all night long, never-ending wrestling match, right? One of the reasons why I think the scene is so poignant for so many people is that if you've ever found yourself in a place where you feel cornered by life, where the prospects don't seem good, where you feel completely alone and isolated, fully aware that what's coming for you might affect those you love near you, and you attempt to lay down and fall asleep, you have probably found yourself in a similar wrestling match, gripped by something, keeping you awake, unable to even define what it is you're fighting and whether it's you or something else. In fact, when commentators um, you know, look at this passage, there's so many ideas of who it is that Jacob might be wrestling. Some folks say, well, it's probably a robber, somebody who saw all the goods he was traveling with during the day, waited till night, jumped out to take him and take his stuff. Other people go, nah, this is his brother Esau. He's like, I don't wanna, I wanna do it with my own hands. I don't want my men to do it. I'm going to come around in the middle of the night and I'm going to grab him and we're going to take care of this right here and now. Some people more recently, kind of in this therapeutic age, look at it and go, no, Jacob, he's having a panic attack. That's what's happening here, right? We don't know uh, at this point in the story who he's wrestling. What we know is the narrator tells us that he is incredibly exhausted. By the time that the sun is finally going to rise, after probably 12 hours of the most intense, brutal wrestling he's ever done in his life, he's been sapped of all of his energy. He has literally nothing left. It still looks like it's a 50-50 battle. In fact, there's some moments where it seems that Jacob might win. And then there, at kind of the last edge of energy he has, his opponent reaches out, grabs his leg, and touches it in such a way that immediately pops it out of socket. Yeah, kind of a game-ending injury. In fact, we're told that Jacob will walk with a limp for the rest of his life from this. And in that moment, he knows now what he couldn't have known all night long, which is that he never had a chance. That his opponent could have done this at any point in time, but he was actively taking him to the very edge of himself, making him use up all of his energy so that he could, in one final move, kind of put him down. And so, in this final scene, as the sun is rising and this opponent pops his hip out of place, he looks at Jacob and says, let me go. It's daytime. I think you've had enough, right? 
And Jacob grips him one last time, but this time less like a violent man, as Frederick Buechner says, and more like a man who's drowning as a way of saying, I'm not going to let you go. In fact, one of the most beautiful mantras I would, I would argue and offer to you in all of Scripture for all the conflict you will ever find yourself in, all the wrestling that you might entertain in this life is what Jacob says next to his opponent. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm not walking away from this fight with nothing. You may have won. I may have been broken. I may never walk the same again, but I'm not walking away empty-handed. I will not let you go. I will not let this moment go until I find some blessing in it. And it's in that moment that his opponent asks him this really haunting question. He says to Jacob, well, tell me your name. It's kind of a strange time for an introduction, right? Tell me your name. What is your name? The reason why this is so heavy is because the reason his brother Esau said he was going to kill him, the reason he's been on the run for 20 years is because 20 years ago, his father's health was failing him, his father Isaac. He'd become blind. He was very sick. They thought he was on the edge of dying. And in that sort of uh, custom of his day, the father would bestow, kind of as a final act, a blessing on his firstborn son. That would have been Esau, right? And so Jacob, who was his, he was a bit of a mama's boy, we're told that. He was mother's favorite. Esau was dad's favorite. We're even told Esau means red and hairy. Esau was a very hairy dude uh, who liked to kill things, right? Uh, animals. And Jacob was like an interior decorator who was very waxed, right? And uh, hung out with mom. And that was kind of the picture we're painted, right? So in the end, mom doesn't like the idea that uh, the Esau might get the final blessing and sort of whispers into her son's, her beloved son's ear, you need to sneak in there. I think your dad's about to like lay the blessing down and steal it before Esau can. And so Jacob goes out and he gets some animal skin that's real hairy and he puts it over himself and he just starts hanging around and he hears his dad sort of call out from his blindness, uh, Esau, I want to give you my blessing. The sort of sense that I'm going to pass on all of my authority. My own spirit is going to be poured into you. You will carry the legacy of this family. The gifts that have been given to us will now be entrusted to you. And Jacob, wearing this hairy garment, says, Hey, Dad, it's me, Esau. And he goes, Isaac says, It sure doesn't sound like Esau. Like, uh, are you sure it's Esau? And Jacob looks right in his blind father's eyes and says, yes, it's me. I'm Esau. And he pronounces this blessing, a blessing that can't be taken back, gives him everything that was to be his brothers. And when Esau hears of it, he says, your days are numbered. I'm not going to do this while dad's still alive, but the moment he dies, you will too. And so Jacob's mom is like, now would be a good time to pack your bags. And we'll catch up later. So he takes off, and he's been on the run for 20 years. And pushed to the edge of himself, to the breaking point, on what he believes to be the last night of his life. His opponent says, before I give you a blessing, I have one question for you. What is your name? 
And maybe for the first time ever, he tells the truth. He says, I'm, I'm Jacob. Now, Jacob's name literally means a heel grabber. And this comes from the fact that Jacob and his brother Esau, they were twins. And when they were being born, Esau is on his way out first. And Jacob grabs his heel and yanks him back, right? And so he's given this name of heel grabber, or a better way to say it would be like trickster, schemer, con man, deceiver. This is who Jacob's been his entire life. He's always been a schemer, a con man. One day when his brother Esau was like coming from the hunt and Jacob's in the kitchen making dinner, right? And his brother's famished and he's like, please, I'm starving. Give me anything. Jacob kind of, kind of works him out of his inheritance and says, I don't, I not only am I going to have my inheritance, but I want yours, but I'll trade it to you for this bowl of soup. And in his moment of vulnerability, he does it. Then he lies to his father to steal this final blessing. Later on, he meets his wife, um, Rebecca, and he ends up conning her father, his father-in-law, out of half of his livestock, right? He's just, this is who he's been. Every minute of his life, he's been a con. He, he would say anything, do anything, step on anyone to get what he wants. When asked what his name is, he would always give you some sort of sly answer. And so here at the end of his existence, he's given the chance, a do-over, to tell the truth about who he is. What is your name? Who are you? And he says, I'm Jacob. I'm a con man. I'm a deceiver. Barbara Brown Taylor, kind of riffing on this story, says that, um, and I love this, she says, my hunch is that if in that moment he had said, um, my name is Esau, that his opponent would have put him through a few more rounds and then asked him again, right? Like the point here was we're going to take you to the place where you're going to tell the truth about who you are. So just a couple things I I want us, there's a hundred things we might notice in this text. I think it's why it's so beloved, right? First is um, that in that moment, the blessing he gets, at least part of the blessing he gets, is that his opponent says, from this day forward, now that you've owned it, now that you've named it, you'll no longer be called Jacob, at least not by me. From now on, your name will be Israel. And the name Israel means the one who wrestles with God and prevails. The one who wrestles with God and prevails. The idea here is that the people of God that we are the people who find ourselves in the ring with God. And that as we stay in the ring with God, we ultimately will prevail. This is, this is what it looks like to be the people of God. That when we find ourselves in the position that Jacob found himself in, that we stay in the fight until the blessing comes. This is his new identity, right? And in light of that, the two observations I want us to consider. One is that I think Jacob, like many of us, when we hear the promise of God, especially when we're headed into some uncomfortable place, maybe you yourself are feeling an invitation to go back home, to reconcile with some family, with some kin, to enter a difficult conversation at work, to make amends for the mess that you've made of your own life, to tell the truth about who you are and who you've been, and you're overwhelmed by the whole idea of it, and God whispers to you, don't worry, I'll be with you. Just full disclosure, Like, we love the idea that what that means is that when God says God will be with us, that it'll be easy, that the conflict will go away, 
that there won't be any bumps or bruises, that, that God will protect us from all that. I wish that were true. It just, that's not the story in scripture. Uh, it, it's very possible and it's definitely real here that when Jacob is given this new name Israel, that you will now be called the one who wrestles with God. The clue he's being given is you weren't wrestling Esau and you weren't wrestling a robber and it definitely wasn't a panic attack. You were wrestling God. I've been contending with you, which has led some preachers to look at this text and go, what if every battle we have, every fight, every conflict, every dark night of the soul, every 3 a.m. rolling over and over wondering what the heck is keeping us up is itself in some way a match with God? That this is the promise of God's presence in, with us. That like Jacob, we might come to accept the painful but also hopeful reality that like a blessing and a bruising aren't always mutually exclusive. That there's pain in this life if we'll hang on to it, if we'll enter it, can teach us something. Which leads to the second observation, which is like my hunch is that the same question that the terrifying question that, that Jacob's opponent, that God asks him, who are you? What is your name? Is also being asked of us. Who are you? Will, will you courageously tell the truth about your story? About who you've been? About what it feels like to be in the wake of you, right? God doesn't ask Jacob, who are you? Or what is your name? Because God doesn't know who Jacob is or what God's name is. God asked Jacob it because Jacob probably doesn't know who he is. God asked Jacob because it's something Jacob doesn't want to think about or know. And here for us, I think, is the roadmap for our own spirituality that many of us who long for something that's more emotionally mature and healthy are given sort of the path, right? That the people of God, those who wrestle with God and prevail are the folks who will look at the dark things, who, who will wrestle with the darkness in their own life who will hang on and say, I'm not going to let go until some sort of blessing comes from this. Who are you? Do you have the courage to enter the ring, to engage the fight, to ask the deep and troubling questions about who you've been? I think this morning for us too is a reminder that that's not just a question personally, but collectively. Who are we? Who have we been? Are we willing to kind of face the dark truth about some of this? of the rampant isolation that, that we participate in and allow to go on, the mental health crises that we fail again and again and again to take seriously, the obsession with our own individual freedoms, even at the cost of other people's lives. When will we have the courage to look straight in the face of the darkness, to enter the wrestling match, even if we walk away with a limp? holding on, waiting for the blessing on the other side. I mean, there's so much that could be said about Jacob. He's no hero. Uh, he made a mess of his life, and the mess honestly continues in some ways. But what's lifted up here, what's commended to us, is that he didn't let go. That he didn't let go. That he, while he surrendered, he never quit. And that that's good news for all of us, that, that you're not stuck with the story you find yourself in today. That if you have courage to believe that God is with you in it, 
and you hold on long enough, even blessing could come from that. May we be a people of courage and do the same. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.